welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. This first conversation for 2021 is with Austin Rayner. Austin is a professor at Queen's University Belfast in the School of Electronics, Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. And his main focus area is team-based software innovation for societal, economic and environmental impact. Austin and I have the pleasure and the privilege of co-facilitating an academic leadership development course. Austin is just such a great person to work with, and I'm keen to introduce you to him here so you can get to know him too. We talk about lots of different topics, from the motivation for his various moves from the UK to New Zealand to Northern Ireland, and negotiating the various cultural differences that you necessarily encounter. We also discuss his experiences being an academic leader and what he's learnt, including a discussion about the the difficult conversations that you have to have. And through all this, we also hear a very clear sense of the strong values that underpin all his work. We also touch upon the uh, COVID lockdown experiences and impacts on teaching software uh, engineering as teams for students and how well that worked and the personal challenges negotiating boundaries and staying well in working from home. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Austin Rayner. So I'm really excited to introduce everyone today to Austin Rayner, who has been and continues to be a great collaborator and friend, and we've been uh, working on the Academic Leadership Development course together. Uh, And we have another one coming up with uh, starting in March. So if people want to sign up, we'll put a link at the on the web page so you can follow through. And I just thought it would be useful just to have a chat with you, Austin, and introduce you to people uh, a, a little bit more. So thank you for thank getting you, up so early in your morning. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me today. And um, I'm very much enjoying working with you as well. Yeah. And um, I just... Uh, You're a software engineer through and through, aren't you, in that you did your PhD in software engineering and that's been your sort of focus and research area ever since. And I I noticed actually that we got our PhDs in the same year, in 1998. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that before. But what what I'm really interested in is uh, you, you were at Hertfordshire for a long time after your PhD uh, moving through yeah. various positions, and yeah. then you moved to New Zealand, and now you're back yeah. in uh, Belfast in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So I'm just curious yeah. about, you know, what were some of those transitions about? What were some of the decisions? So what, in terms of the motivation? Yeah, in- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, sort of large question in a way. I mean, sure. Look, some of it's uh, some of it's challenge um, that different roles as I progress through Hertfordshire and then over to New Zealand and then Northern Ireland are mm. um, 
professional opportunities and the professional um, challenge and opportunities for growth that comes with that. Um, uh, but for me also, I mean, you know, Jerry, you and I will know about this. We've talked about the whole work-life balance thing. But for a, for a lot of these decisions, sure, some of the decisions were professional decisions in terms of career and kind of professional opportunity. But for me, for many of these decisions, we're also, um, uh, if you like, a work-life balance decision in the sense of what's the implications for my wife and my children and my family overall. So it's a kind of combination of things. Mm. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Um, yeah, sure. Um, my, my pauses, I may unpack in a different direction to what you'd like me to. Oh, but, any, you know. anywhere, anywhere you want to take it. There's no, yeah. no agenda here. Really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, um, New Zealand obviously was a big move, um, if you see what I mean. And um, people asked me before I went, you know, that's a kind of long way to go. And, and I was like, well, I'm after a challenge, you know, and it's like, well, that, <laughs> you know, that's a big challenge to emigrate a long way. I mean, I, I realise as well, Jerry, you've you've done your fair share of em, uh, emigration and immigration. Mm. Um, so some of it goes back to my roots as well. My, my parents uh, lived in Africa for 14 years, and so I've spent a lot of time when I was younger um, traveling and moving around. So some of it was around wanting to explore cultural differences, um, both academically in terms of how a different department and university did things. And one of the things I found really interesting about Canterbury and New Zealand is the emphasis they place on engineering broadly within, within if you like, society and industry. I think uh, it may well be the case in Australia as well that the sort of status of engineers and engineering is, uh, in some senses, much more highly regarded than maybe it is in the UK. This is, of course, all relative. Um, but also the emphasis they put on software engineering in New Zealand as being, um, you know, it's something that's professionally accredited. So if you graduate mm. with a software engineering degree in New Zealand, and once you have sufficient professional experience, then you're recognised as a certified engineer. And I thought that was particularly interesting in contrast to the kind of perspective taken in the UK where software engineering much more sits within a sort of computer science um, kind of uh, discipline and perspective. So, I mean, that wasn't the only thing, but when you're kind of asking about unpacking it a bit, it was looking at this fact that there was a very different perspective and culture academically and then also in terms of where software engineering sort of fit within things. Um, and we were after a challenge and it was a kind of good time in terms of the age of the children and, uh, you know, let's go for it. So that's mm. what we did. And you couldn't have moved much farther, could you? <laughs> in terms well, of indeed, I, I <laughs> I, I, I joked with people, I, I went about as far as you could go and still be in a civilised sort of, I mean, Dunedin's a little bit further, but, you know, we're talking about a few hundred kilometres, which isn't, yeah, but it, it was a, it's a long way away and a long way to come back. Mm. Yeah. So uh, other cultural differences that you noticed, you know, I don't know, in faculty culture or, you know, other, other aspects that were interesting or yeah, surprising? I mean, yeah, yeah. New Zealand is, um, well, I mean, part of my pause is that um, it, it's what, what was very interesting is actually how subtly different cultures can be when you think on the surface that they're very similar in that. I mean, one of the things we were thinking about New Zealand is, is a Western culture, if you like. Um, so, I mean, my, um, 
you know, my parents spend a long time in Africa and my eldest brother has been in China and Hong Kong for a long time. And I use those as examples because on the face of it, you would think they would be very different cultures, uh, very different languages and very different ways of doing things. And then what, what I found very interesting is, sure, New Zealand is a Western culture, is a first world country, etc. And then there are subtle differences in the, the kind of uh, national culture, if you like. Um, and then also you find, I think, differences in the way that a particular university or the university sector approaches things. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, 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 my, my pause is to think through some of the, I mean, as I mentioned already, the, 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 the way they uh, position engineering and software engineering, I found very interesting. Um, we, where there are, with where I am in here at uh, Belfast, uh, Queen's University, it's very interesting to compare the, the kind of cultures, the academic cultures, um, which I think here is probably in a sense much more hierarchical. Mm. Um, but part of the reason I pause is, um, you know, you can talk about a sort of national culture and then a particular university, but then even within a university, you will find very different cultures, even within the same academic school, if the school's large enough. And and um, uh, part of my pause is, is to, to what degree one goes into the detail, but I think it's very interesting to reflect on, on working in New Zealand and he, even here working in Northern Ireland. And then I reflect back on working in Hertfordshire, which is the particular group of people that you might be working with within a department that can have, you know, positive or negative effects, but that might be quite a different experience to something else that's happening in the very same academic school, you know, because a big chunk of it is about the particular kind of people you're working with and the mm. way they approach things. Yeah. So really good question. Hard to summarize. Yes. In a, you know, yes. Yeah. Yes. Cause you're making, you're reminding me that, you know, having, as you said, having moved around myself that yeah. sometimes you think that just because you're speaking ostensibly the same language, and of course there are even language differences in the way yeah. people speak English, yeah. Uh, yeah. there are lots of subtle cultural differences. And I know that yeah. sometimes when I was in Sussex, I would have to go, oh, was I just being Australian? Because I realised I had yeah. said something in a particular way. Yeah. 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 And the thing about cultures yeah, I, being I, different. I, yes. And, and so I was just going to respond to your comment on language, which is... Um, I, I was just joking with a colleague on email who was in New Zealand. Um, uh, he was asking me to provide some information from when I was there, which is like, you know, well, this information is effectively four years old. And um, I, I was just joking. Uh, there, there's a slight problem with this. And then I was sort of explaining by slight, you know, bear in mind I'm British and slight doesn't mean slight sort of thing. It's like, <laughs> I don't have this information anymore. Um, and, and, quite it's this although it's the same language actually um how that language is used and what you are meaning in the way you speak can be really very different yeah 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 i just thought it was an interesting question to ask as well because in our last leadership development course mm -hmm. there were a number of people who actually had moved countries and cultural contexts and i it it was interesting to hear the extent to which issues of culture were a common challenge in a way and yeah. you know that they're sort of how you navigate the cut the different cultures yeah. um, uh, I, I very much agree and I think one of the real one of the things I found really interesting with Hertfordshire and I've seen it obviously repeated in the other places I work is the real diversity that you can get within an academic school in a university which I think is a really you know a really wonderful 
um, a valuable thing for academia. Um, and, and I think it's having moved to New Zealand and then moved from New Zealand to Northern Ireland, it's made me much more conscious that there are all sorts of challenges that people have when they relocate. Um, I mean, again, here, uh, uh, I'm conscious um, about to what degree I, I sort of talk about other people, but, you know, there are people that have moved to Northern Ireland from the other side of the world and now I have a bit of a deeper appreciation, actually, of some of the challenges that they're going mm. through and some of the mm. family challenges they have. And then, of course, with COVID, um, there, there's, in some senses, even greater challenges because they don't necessarily have the family and the social network that might help mm. them in that circumstance, which, you know, 18 months ago, they would have because they were yes. in a different country. Yes. So, um, and, and I do wonder sometimes whether we, be, because we've, I mean, naturally, we focus on our, our kind of roles and our jobs and doing our research and teaching, et cetera, that it can be um, not necessarily deliberate, but it can be easy to overlook the fact that actually people that have come into a new job, it's not just a new job, it's a new country, it's a new culture, that there's all sorts of challenges around. You know, even registering with a doctor can be a huge pain. Opening yeah. a bank account can be a huge pain depending on which country you're, you're from, that, that mm. can actually possibly take weeks or months mm. Mm. when you think it shouldn't. But. So if you're thinking about you moving somewhere being new, what would be yep. what have been some of the things that have helped you uh, feel more settled or more at home or that you wish people had have done? Like I guess uh, reflecting on how do we help others who we might recognise as being in similar yeah. situations? Because I think that's a great point that you made about yeah, I, not realizing that, that people are actually going through these huge adjustments and they're not, they're a little bit invisible yeah. in a way. Yeah. 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 And, and um, you're asking some very good questions here, Jerry, because in the sense that there aren't easy, aren't, there, there aren't easy answers to these, you know, to these things. And, and, um, so, so it's sort of two part of what could people maybe have done to help me, if you see what I mean, and then also yeah. what could I have done to help myself? And it's, oh, it, yeah, of course, it's one of these things that it's, it, but, but it's also how, you know, you look back and it's like, well, in retrospect, I wish I'd done X or Y. Um, and I, and I think, um, well, culture almost gets in the way sometimes because, uh, I mean, when I reflect back on certain situations, one of the things I think it might have helped is if people were more um, more willing to kind of discuss things or ask, if I could phrase it that way. But also this is why I say how you can help yourself is to what degree actually will you then um, go and actually say, look, actually, this is this is turning out to be harder than I thought it would be. And even even that, I think, can be a challenge because you know you, you move into a new job, into a new culture, and you don't necessarily know who you can turn to with confidence. Because again, this is part of the whole thing about culture: is um, the the way we behave, the way we talk, the way we react can be subtly different. Um, and it's learning what those signals are, you know. Mm. And and so for me, I don't know if I'm explaining it myself, but. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily unsafe. It's because it's uncertain that you're not quite sure how to navigate some of these things. So, yeah. so like I say, when I said, well, I, maybe I could have helped myself more if I if I'd approached people myself more, say over whatever it was, 
On the other hand, it's hard to read the culture to know who to approach and how you approach them. Yes, so, yeah, indeed. I'm I, not really giving an answer. I'm, no, but yeah. that's that's really good, and I'm just thinking um, it just gives people permission to be in this uncertain place because yeah. there, there's something in the abstract where we might say it's good to be honest and authentic and about yeah. sort of saying, look, yeah. I don't know, I don't need stuff. Yeah. But you're also in this situation where you're trying to establish your professional identity and let them know that they made the right decision in hiring you in the first place and yeah yeah. um and and I think also just as you're mentioning there when you move into kind of leadership positions whether that's a formal leadership or some kind of informal leadership that part of the expectation of your appointment is that you lead I know that sounds obvious but um and, and I think then that can be a challenge because you are then figuring out, well, how do I navigate the way that you should lead within this culture? You know, mm. and, and the way you led in a previous culture may not be the mm. kind of way that fits for the current culture, if you like. Um, and it's it's navigating, well, how do you do that? Mm. Um, and, and sometimes you find out afterwards <laughs> and then you then you sort of have to back up and kind of, you know, um, do a course correction and, and try and um, in some senses maybe recover some kind of faux pas that you've done without realising it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you, you talked there about, you know, moving into a leadership role and so you mm. did go to Canterbury to take up a head of department role, was it? Was that the reason um, why you went um well it wasn't it, it was a combination i mean as i mentioned earlier on some of it uh, a big part of it was um after a challenge in a different academic environment and then also an opportunity for the family and the children so there, there was a range of different things as well as the prospect i mean it wasn't a guarantee and it wasn't you know it wasn't that you've moved to be appointed but there was um uh, the pvc was you know looking for a, a new head of department if i can phrase it that way um I mean, as you all know, Jerry, the nature of of, of uh, heads of department in academia tend to be a sort of tend to be fixed term, if you see what I mean. They're not necessarily kind of full time. So, so the sort of timing of the move potentially was aligning with the fact that the department might be looking for um, a new head of department. So, yeah, it wasn't immediately, but certainly within within months, there was um, uh, you know a move into that kind of role as a head of department there. Yeah. And you had been playing more senior leadership roles at Hertfordshire by the end as well, weren't you, in in a, a dean role and similar? Yeah, the, yes, I mean, absolutely. The uh, Hertfordshire had done a restructure um, a few years be- actually before I moved in which they'd scrapped faculties in colleges and they went for a, a sort of flatter, um, a flatter structure, which is essentially a university with academic schools. And so... Um, I mean, again, as you'll know, Jerry, you know, what does a dean mean and what does a, um, you know, a PVC, you know, th- these titles can mean some really quite subtly different things depending on which university and in which country, et cetera. So, so yes, I mean, I was an associate dean for the kind of enterprise and entrepreneurship kind of activities uh, and innovation activities within the school, which is then in a sense connecting not through a faculty or college, but into the university overall. Um, so that was one of the roles Um the again different titles. I think lots of people might call it director of studies, but it was called a program tutor there. And and I mean that was a degree program with seven hundred students. Um, and while I didn't do it all myself, you 
again, you find yourself in a leadership role, if you like, with a lower L because there wasn't anybody I was formally line managing, if you like, within that role. And what does line management mean in academia anyway, sort of thing. But, but you know, in principle, there's 70 academics, 700 students that at some sense and in some level I had a responsibility for. Of course, I wasn't doing it all on my own. But again, that, that's a different kind of leadership um, a different kind of leadership role to the kind of more um, kind of classic concept of a line manager sort of thing. So, and it wasn't a project. It's not a project manager role either because, I mean, the nature of these degree programs is they will rumble on and on and on for years. Okay, maybe they change their title or they change their modules, but it's a recurring kind of thing that just keeps going. So what have been some of your big lessons maybe challenges and then lessons growing out of the challenges in moving into these leadership roles, whether they're the big L or the little L uh, roles? Yeah, again, a really good question. And um, I mean, sure challenges, uh, which I'll come on to in a second. And as I, as I reflect on your question, it's, I think some of it's around actually these challenges don't necessarily go away you know you have a challenge within one context and hopefully you learn from that but then what you've learned doesn't necessarily then apply within a different context partly because it's back to culture but also partly it's back to individual personalities and the individual circumstance um i think one of the big things is is touching on this earlier on when we talk about diversity is um how how varied and different academics can be um and then how you how you work with different academics in different ways and also though related to that particularly as you get in some of these more kind of well i was going to say more senior leadership roles but even this might be if you're um you know if you've got a big research grant etc where i'm going is here is you're not you're not just working with academics you're working with professional staff you're working with technical staff you know you might be working with finance etc so I mean, sure, look, Jerry, you know this, that that universities, there's obviously there's a big chunk of academics in there, but there's there's a lot of um professional technical admin staff who have different personalities again and different procedures and structures that they follow. And and so for me, for example, one of the things I found really interesting and really enjoyed and found very rewarding around a head of department role was actually that diversity that that you are you are talking with senior professors about something but then you're talking with you know um a, a sort of new technician that's just joined uh, about something different or there's a member of technical staff who wants to 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 develop a project and they want to know that the the department will sort of back that um I don't know if I'm digressing, but part of what I'm trying to paint here is that that there's a whole range of really um, difficult but also interesting and rewarding challenges about how you relate to all of these different people. Um, and for me, I find that a really important part of um, things like collegiality and, you know, equality and opportunity and trying to build some kind of collegiality. And I, I don't know, common vision might be overstating it, but but trying to ensure that you have, in some sense, as a united kind of academic school, a united department. 
quite a long answer, sorry, but it's no, it's but a I very find good it, yeah, I find it really interesting that you didn't lead off with, um, oh god, managing big budgets or doing strategy. Yes, it's, you've just talked about people and relationships, yeah, yeah and yeah, sure, and, and I think, yes, I mean, big budgets, etc. But my my sense, well, I mean, for me, I, I in an in an ideal world, it's like, well, you know, uh, I mean, when I reflect on things, it's okay. So I had a, a finance administrator within the department, and to a large degree, it's like I'm relying on that person to be managing the details of the budgets. And in some senses, it's a, you know, my role is either an exceptional hand, exception handling, or it might be a decision making thing, but it's not necessarily the details. If, if I can phrase it that way. Um, so that's part, to, to pick up on you, you found it interesting, I wasn't talking about finance or budget. Um, my, my pause is because I think for me, it's about trying to recognize and turn to others. Uh, and, you know, that's what, they're, that's what they're there for, or that's what I'm hoping that, and expecting that they will contribute. Yeah. So, you know, having the chat with the new technician to see what they want to do or what they're good at or. Yeah. 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 Um, what about, you know, Lee, if you are talking about people and relationships as sort of a key thing, yeah. uh, I assume that you necessarily also had to be dealing with uh, hard conversations in the context of that oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. often they're just, you know, they're not you know, good. And especially in a bigger leadership position, yeah. you're the one to do that. What mm -hmm. um, re reflections on that you know what what worked or how did you approach that yeah i mean again a really good question sure difficult conversations um difficult conversations come with some of these roles and um i mean one of the one of the sort of phrases i've had in my mind for many years and i and i'm not sure in the end whether it's a good phrase but um, I mean, I'll say it, and then hopefully I'll try and kind of explain it. But, but in a sense, if you're not if you're not upsetting people at some point, then I'm not sure. If, if you're not upsetting people, you're not doing the role properly. And what I'm trying to get at there is the role is not about upsetting people, but the role is recognizing that if you're going to take on these roles, there will be difficult decisions. You know, there will be tensions. There's competing, you know, interests. There's politics, and so at some point. Um, you either engage with the fact that there will be people upset or then what some people do is they try and avoid it and kind of offload it to somebody else. I, so difficult conversations happen and um, some in my experience over many years, some I think I've handled much better than others, some some I think I've handled disastrously and, and it's one of those things that if you look back, it's like, you know what, I, I wish I'd done that differently and I wish I had the experience now, you know, that I have now, I wish I had it then. Um, but I think also to, to come back to an earlier remark I was making about culture is, you know, um, I mean, I, I can't go into the details, but I'm, I'm thinking of one particularly difficult conversation I had in the UK which actually worked really well. You know, I thought about how I wanted to approach this conversation. I had the conversation. It turned out to be a very positive uh, conversation for both parties. And I came away think, from that thinking, well, you know, that, that's, that's, that's been a really um, kind of affirming, uh, rewarding kind of um, uh, conversation. And 
Then I took the same approach to deal with a different member of staff in a different department, you know, somewhere else. And it was an utter disaster. Um, and it, this is back to my earlier comment about the challenges in a sense don't go away because just because you've handled something well in one situation, it doesn't mean that you'll handle it in a, you know, I mean, it just, it doesn't just naturally follow that you'll handle it well in the next one because, because of the subtleties of personality and politics and the situation you're dealing with. Um, but, but, and and I don't know, um, I, I, in that sense, it's hard for me to know how I compare with kind of colleagues in that I think there are there are difficult conversations for whatever reason that I'm willing to um, engage in when maybe others aren't. But I think also what I'm conscious of, again, maybe one of the sort of lessons learned is to be careful not to come across as being interfering, how you get that balance between um, being concerned about somebody uh, and respectful of them uh, t- to then want to kind of engage with an issue whilst also respect might be that you actually don't engage with it. You know, it, it's, and again, without going into the details, there's a conversation I had in recent weeks with a, with a colleague um, about a health issue. And uh, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to be how it was going to be received because I really did feel that I had a, a collegial responsibility and a line management responsibility to talk to this individual about to talk with this individual about the, the kind of situation they were in. But I did, I really didn't want it to come across as being some sort of line manager to come along going thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that because. I mean, that's one, that's not how academia works, but also that's not the way I want to work. You know, it, it's very much wanting to be respectful and and it's negotiating quite where where that line is for what you say and what you don't and how you say it. I don't know if this is making kind of yeah. sense, but... Yeah. Well, it's, it's very clearly saying um, there's no right or wrong and that yeah. you're always learning because everyone is so different mm. in a way and that's okay. Mm. which brings me up against the whole thing about, I don't know, um, imposter syndrome and professional right. sort of face and, you know, I, yeah. I'm in control or whatever and, you know, is that a navigation as well? How do you navigate that uh, yeah. sense of trying to do the job but thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to handle this and did I do it well? Or Yeah, sure, and... Um... Um, my, my pause is you're speaking, and, and, and again, look, I'll say this, and um, and and we'll see where we go. Yeah, one of the things I've become much more uh, conscious of over recent years, and and it to some degree it was in a head of department role, was female students talking about imposter syndrome and and the difficulty they had when they were in a lab with a lot of male students. Um, and and maybe the politest way I could put it is those male students were being somewhat naive um, uh, in 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 the kind of way they were behaving, and and so that's that's first of all that's got me much more conscious of imposter syndrome, and again you you know you read about it on Twitter and other kind of places. Part of me thinks also that this isn't just a female thing. I think there are there are men, or if you like, it, it can also be. This is where it rubs up with the kind of whole thing of a sort of masculine perspective, which I guess the masculine perspective is: no, I'm not an imposter. I can, you know, I can, I can do this sort of thing. 
And uh, there's been lots of situations, some in my teaching, some in my leadership, when I've been sitting there thinking, you know what, I've got, I, I really feel like I've got no idea what I'm doing here, which, which I think is some, some aspect of the imposter syndrome. Um, and, and as you may know from your own experience, Jerry, or other people you've talked to, that that's a self-undermining, you know, you, you, it, it's, it's a difficult, but it's a difficult balance to get because if you're not careful, you can come across as being arrogant, if you see what I mean, if you, if you don't engage with those um, doubts, if I can phrase it that way. On the other hand, if you engage with them too much, then that's undermining as well. So, so again, there's a, there's a sort of a difficult balance to walk sometimes. Um, and I think that's also when it can be so valuable to sense check with other people. Uh, and again, this is something I've done in my career where I've, I, you know, I've said to colleagues, look, if <laughs> I can think of a particular situation where, I mean, I've said to colleagues, look, if you think I'm doing something insane here, then please do, t- you know, it's so important that you tell me. Um, um, because again, um, when one's in a formal leadership role, there is then that whole power dynamic, whether you want it or not, around the the kind of more junior members of staff thinking, no, I can't say something here or I shouldn't say something, when actually I'd like to think a mature enough leader will be actually wanting people to say, look, this either this doesn't make sense or it's not making sense to me and I'm not uh, you know, I'm not questioning the decisions as such, but I want to better understand them or I want to kind of raise something have you thought of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome, really good question. I, I definitely think uh, throughout my career there have been times and recurring times when in some senses I think, yes, that that would be a way of describing it is imposter syndrome. And then how do you it's a question that's always asked and will be continually re-asked is how do you navigate that? Mm. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question and, and come back to me. Yeah. And there's also the question of how do you learn? Because it's never part of our formal training. Our degrees are focused on, you know, the content of being good software engineers or similar. Yeah. Uh, and you did touch upon giving colleagues permission, you know, and seeking actively seeking yeah. feedback yeah. what are some other ways that you've um proactively tried to develop the skills or the self-awareness or the knowledge whatever to yeah. to step yeah. into these roles yeah i mean well of course one thing i i will say is you you know you should go on a course <laughs> you should go on an academic <laughs> yeah. you, you should, should go on one three <laughs> march um but I mean, on a kind of more serious level, some of it has been, you know, has been uh, courses. And I, and um, well, of course, I'm I'm sort of joking in, in pitching our one. But but the more serious thing is, I've been on courses when I've reflected that actually, as a leadership course, this much suits much better suits a, a more traditional, for want of a better phrase, kind of professional environment, and doesn't necessarily suit an academic environment. I think there's something about academics as, you know, um, very bright, independent-minded, ambitious, you know, uh, people who are prepared to argue and criticise, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole kind of, uh, if you like, a personality or a culture that, that can be quite different to professional environments, other professional environments. And so some of the courses I've been on, I don't think have necessarily fit too well because those courses have assumed that you would be operating in quite a different environment. But sure, some of it is courses. Some of it, I think, is um, 
I mean, I've had three uh, sixty degree assessments uh, done in at least two institutions, um, which can be very want- brave things to do. Indeed. And yeah. for people who don't know yeah. about 360s, do you want to just describe? Well, I mean, I'll have a go and then and then please, uh, you know, add your own, you know, or you'll compliment this, Jerry. Um, so a 360 is you would send out, uh, I guess, typically it's some kind of survey instrument that you will you will identify a range of different people. So they will be, if you like, more junior people, whatever that kind of means. Uh, so they may be people reporting to you or just other people within the department. Um, your peers, so that might be, say, professors or it might be other heads of department, whatever constitutes a peer within that kind of context. And then more senior people uh, within the university. So in my case, the one, one of the ones I'm thinking of would be PVCs. And then even in my case, I then uh, invited some people outside of that particular university who I was working with on a long-term basis. So in some senses, they were peers. But what's valuable about them is that there's no – there's no institutional kind of structure they have to operate in, which means they can give a different perspective again. So essentially the idea with the 360 is you're going around to a range of different people within that whole kind of power structure, some above you, some below you, for want of a better metaphor, and asking them for their for their views on whatever it would be on your leadership or, or kind of some other aspect of your work. And it's all done anonymously. You obviously can figure out how many people have responded um, but you, uh, in an ideal world, you get no indication of who they are. I mean, I say in an ideal world because, of course, depending on what they're saying, you get some sense of maybe what their role was. So, I mean, I've done that. Uh, I did that at Hertfordshire. I did that in New Zealand. Um, I think from what I've heard from other people, you know, kind of coaches and mentors, et cetera, um, lots of people don't do these when they're given the opportunity. I mean, I think it is a, a brave thing to do. It can be a difficult what, thing to do. Why, as well. is it, why is it brave? Um, I think it's brave because uh, you may not like the answers. Um, And I think also partly um, you don't necessarily get a chance to defend against the answers. You know, like if you're in a sort of discussion situation or some kind of interview or whatever, you get the opportunity to explain, oh, well, the reason I behaved like that was because of, you know, X or in a way, it's a bit like the teaching surveys that we, we, you know, we have done from students. And, And it's like, well, you know, I'm given some comments here and I'm given a number or whatever it would be. And actually, it's quite, uh, in a way, dispassionate and it's quite abstract and it's quite disconnected at times. And it doesn't necessarily appreciate the context within which the teaching or within the lead- leadership is taking place. So I, I think it's a brave thing, maybe because you'll get back comments that you don't uh, you don't like to hear. But also, like I say, they can. It, it's done in a, a sort of one way. You don't. You don't. There's no rebuttal opportunity. If you see what I mean, like like you have in a sort of you know journal article. Um, in which case, then it's it's being um, able to, in some senses, step back from the the direct kind of comments that are being made and and asking the questions. Well, actually, what what is being said here? You know, kind of really, or what can I learn from this? Um, and in both of the 360s I've had, you know, it's been conducted in conjunction with a coach or a mentor, et cetera, who, who has then explored those, uh, you know, that feedback with you. I'll stop there because I'm giving yeah, quite a while. That sounds, does sound like a very brave thing to do, but also a potentially very valuable thing. And I liked the the way you talked about what 
even when it is hard, what can I yeah. learn from this? Because, yeah. you know, you're, you're obviously doing it because you want to do a better job for the yeah. people that you're leading. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and yeah. from that that sort of feedback and just thinking about yourself, what, what do you think are your particular values and strengths that you know, underpin you as a leader or that you draw on or that shape you? Yeah, yeah, I... Uh... I'm I'm really liking your questions, Jerry. I'm, I'm glad this isn't an interview. You know, well, it obviously is an interview, but I mean, it's not a recruitment interview. Um, um, so, what have so, you learned about yourself? I yeah, guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. I mean, equality. I I, I think, I, and I, I trace that all the way back into my kind of upbringing, etc. And I think um, a respect for people. Um, um, more than one colleague in the past has said, you know, Austin, you really care. Um, and uh, But as I'm speaking here, and again, it's back to my earlier remark, what I'm really conscious of is caring can come across, can be misinterpreted sometimes as interfering, you know, which mm. is not how it's intended. And, and again, when you relate back to a 360, it might be, oh, you know, Austin interferes, say. And, and that's what I'm saying. Well, no, it's not intended as interference. It's intended as caring or intended as respect or... So I think there's a whole there's a whole bunch of values there around fairness and equality and and uh, respect for people, um, and then also uh, inclusiveness in the but also in the sense of actually not not just inclusiveness say in terms of gender or race or whatever, but inclusiveness in terms of what are the different things that we are trying to achieve here. You know that this isn't just about. I want to achieve X and other people will fall in line with me. Um, it, it's actually how we can be inclusive in the way that we progress as a research group or a department or a team or a teaching team, whatever it would be. Uh, and again, as I say that, you know, I'm just conscious people who are listening to this may well be people who work with me and they're like, really, Austin, that was not my perspective. Um, but again, I, I quite, and I, for people who are listening, they won't be seeing, they can't see Jerry laughing. Um, but this is also what I'm conscious of with the cultural differences, et cetera, that the way in which some of these values are communicated are different across cultures, and that can lead to culture clashes. So inclusiveness. And I think also um, I'm not entirely comfortable using the word analytic because it can come across as being, um, uh, in a way, dispassionate. But Wanting to understand what are the issues here, let, let's get to, in some senses, the root of what the issues are to the degree that we can, and then actually be looking to tackle what, what the, if you like, what the problems are or the opportunities are. And so there's a degree of depth of reflection and depth of thinking um, when we make decisions. I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's interesting because I, I I can see that I would – say I've seen many of those in action as well. I mean, obviously not in the context that you're talking about. And you also sort of helped elaborate something that you said earlier about, uh, you know, working with people and, you know, like you know, doing, playing out a leadership role and you talked about getting to a common vision. And yeah. so it was interesting here as well to hear about it being an inclusive process. It wasn't you... Mm -hmm dictating this is yeah. our common vision follow me i am your leader it it was yeah. you know, yeah. how do we find a shared vision that yeah. we can yeah. believe in in common and and yeah motivate yeah 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 and indeed uh, i mean we're going through this process with uh, software engineering research here at queens where 
Yeah, I mean, and I'd expect that this is pretty common that we're, we're, you, you know you talk to the group and you you appreciate that different people have different research interests, and they might they might all very easily fit under the category of software engineering. But that doesn't mean to say that we're all doing the same thing. And in fact, we don't we don't all want to be doing the same thing. But it's it's then well, how do we how do we kind of frame our discussions or, you know, even things like how, what do we write on our website or, you know, on our Twitter space that in some sense is inclusive, is, is, is ensuring that we are giving fair opportunity for everybody in that group. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm left thinking that these are ongoing sort of negotiations in a sense, um, which is that I don't know that you ever uh, arrive at a, you know, a settled right, you know, yeah. we're all in it agreement this is what we're doing sort of thing it's it's always a kind of discussion and flow yeah apart from the fact that our own interests change and evolve with time the very nature of academia and project funding and that means we often have different people coming in moving out again which yeah is always pointing to a continual reshaping so it's more yeah you make yeah it's more this thing of do we have a common vision for now for who we are and we will continue sort of to revisit this and reshape it. Um, in talking about Queens, you, oh, you're going to say something, Austin? No, I was just going to say I, I think some of it is that this is also part of the, the sort of challenge when something's written down, you know, whether it's an email or a website, the, the risk is it becomes reified and it's like, oh, well, you know, now this is what we're doing and, and because this particular phrase is not on the website, that means we're not doing it, you know, and so maybe people get a bit huffy about things. And it gets it's back to trying to almost continually reassure and remind people that this is a this is always a working you know uh, sort of understanding you know that it, it can change tomorrow it can change we, we, we're successful with a research grant or we're unsuccessful with a research grant you know and, and then things change like you're saying that's just what I wanted to add yeah yeah um you're in talking about queens you're you're also doing some really interesting things, I think, in your teaching of software engineering students and your design thinking and team-based work. Yes. Can so you just, um, yeah. just sort of elaborate on that yeah. a little bit. I um, Yes. I mean, I, I'm really enjoying the, the – so I'm doing a final year team-based software engineering um, – well, we'd call it a module. Other people would call it a course. So students work in teams of between four and six. Um, uh, the, the, the course lasts a semester, so in the UK that's about 12 weeks. Um, but within that, then, there's an eight-week project, and the students work in their teams of four to six on a particular project. They're given a, a, a very open-ended, messy kind of wicked sort of problem to work on. Some of them, some teams can choose. Others, you know, take something from a list. And then they very much go through this software, this this innovation process. So it's for me, it's design thinking meets agile. Um, I mean, it, it plus the important team aspect. And and one of the things, I mean, look, I. I like many others, I, I I have found that I'm finding COVID really tough at times. Um, I say that, though, because also I think there's been some real opportunities and benefits. And so when I first taught this course in 2019, it was all face-to-face, you know, kind of um, in the computer science building. Really enjoyed it, you know, but I'm just saying that that was the environment. And then in 2020, in the autumn, it's like entirely online um, using Microsoft Teams. And that's when... 
I it, I really realized how valuable these technologies are and how with the right technologies, much of this you can do online. Not necessarily all of it. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's perfect or anything. There's pros and cons. But so many of the students went into the, the, the module in September really not sure how are we going to do this, you know, entirely we're working online remotely. We, we will never see our team members. And many, many of them coming out at the end going, wow, you know, actually we can do this. You know, it, it's possible to – and to see some of the engagement in a strange sort of way. I remember my mum saying this, talking to my mum back in March, that in a strange sort of way, I, I think the phrase social distance is, is misleading because the physical distance has actually encouraged the social connection. Um, yes, so, indeed. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I just uh, finished marking the reflective learning reports from students from one of my master's classes where they had some teamwork to do. And that was also a common comment from people about how surprised they were that it could work online and that they could work together. And that seems to be like a like a positive outcome of COVID experiences in some ways, especially for people who are going to go and work in industry, because often they're yeah. working in distributed teams, you know, even yeah. without COVID. Um, yeah. yeah, so hopefully there are some good transferable skills. And you also yeah. did some specific exercises to help people form teams, didn't you, it, when, especially when they were distributed and didn't know each other? Yeah, sure. And and so... Um, um, there's some practices that the software company called Atlassian that um, have developed uh, one, which is something called a my user manual where you kind of complete this template sort of um, kind of indicating how you like to work personally and how you don't, you know, like I like a quiet environment or I I'm an, I'm a, an early bird. So, you know, the best time to work with me is at <laughs> is at four o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, you know, so there's various things there. And then the idea was that, that the individual students share those with the teams. That was one thing. Another thing was, I mean, in a sense, a simple thing, a video introduction. There was also um, a, a thinking skills self-assessment that students did. Um, so what I was very conscious of is the importance of um, one if you like getting students into teams quickly, but also then once that had happened is really working quickly for the, the, the people to start to work as a team. And, and in fact, this is also what I found is when, when I look at the grades, the, the teams that have struggled, it was because of the team dynamics. It it wasn't because of the, um, you know, the innovation, et cetera. I, I mean, the really good students teams did some really good innovation, but the fundamental, um, you know, necessary but not sufficient was that the, the weak teams did not work as teams. That the dynamics was really, yeah, really, really poor. But also, they knew this. You know, the feedback they could see, the retrospectives they were doing. It, it, it this really shouldn't have been a surprise to them. And in a way, it's back to the difficult conversations we've talked about earlier on, which is how then do you, as a team or as an individual within that team, try and nudge that team into to kind of improving their health. Mm-hmm. And so I want to pick up on health as as a little uh, mm-hmm. thread there, yeah. little connector, because you talked about COVID being tough. Um, yep. uh, how are you going? How are you looking after yourself? Because you've been in lockdown for a long time on and off. 
Oh, well, I mean, yeah, um, here in Belfast. But I mean, like many parts of the world, we've essentially been in lockdown since March. I mean, it's ebbed and flowed, but in many ways. Uh, and and it, and I think part of the toughness is the sense that after 10 months, we've not moved anywhere. We're, we're still in, I mean, it, it, you know, we have got vaccines, etc. now, but there's still a psychology of here we are after 10 months. Um and and this also, I think, personality. Look, I mean, it may or may not come across. I'm I'm an introvert, so it's so in a way, actually, the opportunity to work at home is, in some sense, is actually really very rewarding. If you know, <laughs> um, um, and and as many other people have pointed out, there's be, because you don't have the commute, etc. Actually, it gives you a good deal more flexibility. But then the thing you really have to be careful about is that um, there's no natural boundaries between work and home. You know, there is no commute. There's, there's no bus ride or train ride or bike ride to kind of say work has finished and homes, you know, home life starting, you know, the commute is I walk out of the kitchen into the lounge and now I'm working sort of, um, and that can be challenging. And, and, and for many people as well, you know, the, the dependents, whether it's elderly or whether it's children, et cetera, then that, that work-life balance of the home is, is just a complete mess at the moment. Um, and like everybody, we're doing what we can. So what, what have you been doing that's working or trying to you know, manage that? Yeah, I mean, and and so we, um, so my wife and I and my daughter, my son wasn't really interested. Were for a long for a long time we were doing uh, exercise. You know, like um, some of, some listeners may be aware of Joe Wicks, but but there's actually there's huge number of um, resources on YouTube, etc. You know, um, yoga, um, light exercise, intense exercise. So we did a lot of that for several months. Um, last year which really really helped what's helped for us as well but i realize many people haven't had this opportunity as you'll know jerry we moved house just before christmas and so we're closer to the coast and and all it has done is remind me actually that a a natural environment outside really helps um but if it's any consolation, the previous place, the, it was a dual carriageway. You know, do you want to go for a walk? Well, we're going to walk down the dual carriageway, and that's obviously not much fun. So, so what's helping us to some degree is that the the sea and the coast is not so far away, and that's mm. making a big mm. difference. Yeah, um, yeah, lots of and, good research on the value of green space yeah. and nature. Yeah. yeah, and I'm cooking more as well. I, I make lots of fruit cakes. <laughs> so, not the sourdough. No, 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 no. We're not, we're not quite Northern Irish yet. No, it's uh, it's uh, a recipe my mum acquired from her mum. So this recipe goes back, you know, a decade sort of thing. So um, all scones or Welsh cakes, etc. Lovely. So you need to go walking to walk off the the fruit cake exactly. and the scones and the Welsh cakes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that we we may just sort of start moving to wrapping up in some way are there any things that you know I could have asked and should uh, haven't or that you'd just like to talk about Uh, just in terms of sharing your actually what drives you as an academic what gets you out of bed every morning yeah, really uh, again another really good question for me and and I do wonder whether uh, yeah whether I so what drives me is actually I, I'm really interested in multidisciplinary kind of challenges, you know, where where although, you know, I'm sort of in software engineering, it's the software engineering for society, software engineering for environment. 
I mean, I've done work with uh, children with autism, with cerebral palsy. I've done a lot of work with industry. And I think that does, in a sense, fit the software engineering, um, you know, that it's about, to some degree, it's not it's not just about ideas and technology, but it's about the value of those ideas and technology to some kind of end user, whatever that would be. And and that, for me, is therefore where the innovation, you know, we talked about the, the team-based innovation uh, earlier on. I think that that's quite a good kind of indicator when you're saying what gets me out of bed that in in that sense and and i think then that also translates into the sort of leadership thing where you think in terms of a team-based innovation um whether that's research or innovation in teaching or innovation in practice it's um it's that kind of space that i find really interesting yeah yep lovely so any any other thoughts reflections um, no, I mean, you've asked some really very good questions, Jerry, and there's been a very kind of good natural kind of progression through the questions. Uh, and it's a conversation I've really enjoyed having. I, I, I imagine as soon as we finish the interview, I will remember something. It's like, no, I, I should have mentioned that. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm, uh, thank you for asking. And there's sort of nothing else that I think I want to add at the moment. Great. So I, uh, I think then we, it just leaves us to uh, mention again the the academic leadership development course um, that will be starting in March, and we'd love people to consider being part of that because we all yeah. learn. Um, you know, if you were reflecting back on the last one, what were the key learnings for you? Do you think um, a key one, which I think both you and I uh, spotted kind of very early. Um, but we also emphasized this was the value of the group that, that and, and again, back to what I was touching on earlier on about the inclusive thinking is the different perspective that the participants bought and the conversation that we had, I, I found so insightful and rewarding and energizing to hear what other people uh, had to say and how we collectively explored things. That was, um, that was, I'm pausing because there may be something else, but I think that that was one of the things I I, re- I really found valuable. Um, and there's this phrase you may have encountered, you know, to teach is to learn again. And um, as much as you and I, Jerry, were there to kind of facilitate, it was a facilitation because I often felt that I learned as much from the people in that group as they may or may not have been learning from, you know, uh, from us. Yeah, indeed. Hmm. Well, um, Austin, thank you very much for your time today and look forward to working with you in future thank you and you thank you jerry cheers